0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I'm going to pick up the conversation with Dr. Matthew Bunsen in just a moment here, but I wanted to make a special appeal. Yesterday we had an outstanding interview with Noel Mearing, the author of the book Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. And we, uh, her work at the Ethics and Public Policy Center is really outstanding. And tonight, and this is what I want to stress, tonight she's speaking at Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Brighton, and i uh, love to have you get, turn out there to see Noel and to support the work of Men on Fire. Women are welcome, all right? But here's a taste of our conversation yesterday. We were talking about how uh, people, in reviewing the history of the United States, uh, it, it give it a very negative review for the purpose of their own uh, political um, self-aggrandizement. Take a listen. How do you stand... Against this, when you know that our history is being exploited for the purpose of personal political gain?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that one of the ways that's most compelling to people is that. It's grabbed um, the mantle of in order to be for justice, you have to be an ideologue in this manner. So if you want to be against racism, which all reasonable goodwill people want to be against racism, then you have to apply it in this very particular way now. And it's a really, really different from, you know, for example, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. would have identified where he centralized the common humanity of the human person. That's why we are brothers and sisters. that's, That's what gave him such moral leverage. That's right. And now there's been a shift where we are no longer united. Defined by things that unify us, but rather we're defined into division. Who is an oppressor, oppressor? Who is an oppressed? Um, you know it's a really contra gospel message so for example I talk about yeah. in the book how in the faith we know that we're defined by the love of God and that gives us a mission to go out and spread to people the good news that they are loved. In the woke movement we are defined not by the love of God but by the hatred of mankind right. and that gives us a contra gospel message to go raise the consciousness of our fellow man to, to alert them to the fact that he is hated or that he is uh, un, un, subconsciously a hater. Yeah. Um, and it's really disempowering as you're talking about the, the power, um, power of the people in the 60s, one of the things I find most frustrating about the movement is, um, you know, it really tells people that they, their circumstances, any disparity, anything going wrong mm. in their life, there's no way that they can transcend those circumstances, not by merit, it's not by effort, right. not by help, mentorship, not by friendship, um, that the only that they're, they're, they are helpless in the face of hard circumstances. Yeah. There's nothing more disempowering from, than that. Right. You know, if you, and so the only option you have then is to despair and then be enraged.
0: So that's tonight, Noel Meering speaking at Holy Spirit Parish in Brighton. And uh, Mass is at 615. She's speaking at 7. Uh, event is sponsored by Men on Fire, but all men and women are invited to attend. Take advantage of it if you're living in southeast Michigan. Great opportunity. Well, join me right now is Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Uh, executive Editor and Washington Bureau Chief for EWTN News and a Senior Fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, author of more, the, again, co-author of more than 50 books, including the first English language biography of Pope Francis. Uh, and you can um, hear him on Register Radio, Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Matthew, good to have you back.
2: Great to be with you.
0: we were unable to get to this question uh, Earlier this week, uh, Pope Francis attended an interreligious conference in Kazakhstan, uh, and this has caused some degree of controversy. Set it up for me. What was this about, and what did he say or signed uh, that gave people pause?
2: Right. Well, this was uh, the reason, really, for Pope Francis's visit to Kazakhstan on September 13th to the 15th, and there were obvious questions whether or not he'd actually be able to attend because of the, some of the health issues he's had uh, in the past months, but uh, sure enough, there he, there he was. Uh, let's note that this was um, initially touted as a possible place where he'd be able to have a dialogue with the Patriarch Kirill of Moscow, That didn't work out, that didn't happen. Uh, But then there was also reporting that uh, while there he had tried to have a meeting with uh, Chinese Premier Xi Jinping, that that didn't work out either. So one of the stresses about that then is that um, a lot of the focus was on the reason for his being there officially, which was a declaration of a Congress of interreligious dialogue. It's the seventh, uh, so-called Congress, Uh, The Seventh Congress of Leaders of World and Traditional Religions was the full title. Various popes had been invited. They hadn't really been able to attend, but uh, here he was. By way of context, uh, we have to remember that he signed something similar to this declaration uh, in Abu Dhabi in February of 2019 when he visited there, and that's Mm -hmm. the document on human fraternity for world peace and living together. So this isn't necessarily a, a new approach. Right. So there are right. two things that have emerged out of it. Uh, the first is why there was changing it, uh, that took place in the wording after the approval of the Declaration by its participants and its initial publication. We can come back to that in a second. And then the second is, are there problems created uh, theologically and from a Catholic standpoint with this new language?
0: Okay. So uh, the previous document <clears throat> are you saying that the previous a change had been made uh from the document from a few years ago or was there a document that they signed that was then altered after the signature
2: Oh that's exactly what happened to the second wow. uh, there is a document uh, the declaration of the 7th congress of the leaders of world traditional religions that's posted on the site. And here's where one of the reasons why I think there is this uh, sort of level of controversy surrounding it, uh, in part because it's, it's an obviously very sensitive passage. And what it is, it's point 10 of the Declaration. And you can go to the site, uh, and I'll just read the text as it is. We note that pluralism in terms of differences in skin color, gender, race, language, and culture are expressions of the wisdom of God in creation religious diversity is permitted by God, and therefore any coercion to a particular religion and religious doctrine is unacceptable. Now, that is very different um, to what is eventually now published, Uh, and that is we note that pluralism in terms of differences uh, are expressions of the wisdom of God, but it's now saying that pluralism and differences in religion skin color are expressions of the wisdom of God Will in creation, thus any incident. So the point oh, is wow. that you notice where the stress is. Yeah, yeah.
0: They they've taken the question um, of
2: the will of God. Yeah, that's right.
0: It's one thing to say that God permits religious diversity. It's another thing to say that He wills religious pluralism as a function of creation.
2: That's right. That's so pretty. The, that's pretty
0: significant.
2: Uh, that's right. And the change in wording, it was made after, again, after the approval of the Declaration by its participants in the subsequent publication. Uh, it was published on the website, uh, as noted by the Catholic News Agency. It was published in local media uh, hours after the previous version, which had actually been initially streamed by Vatican News and by us, uh, and can actually, all of that streaming can still be found online. Now it ties to the Abu Dhabi document, uh, from three years ago, that is the, the exact phrase there is, the pluralism and the diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom uh, through which he created human beings. Yeah. So that's the uh, text that. from Abu Dhabi. So you can see some of the concerns that have been raised, uh, in particular uh, by the very well-known Bishop Athanasius Schneider, uh, an auxiliary bishop in Kazakhstan, who's also well-known internationally, uh, his concern is that this document, as he puts it, gives the impression of, quote, a supermarket of religions.
0: Right. Yeah, God created the smorgasbord, and you're free to eat uh, any of the meals that are out there, any of the dishes that are out there, and they're all equally that's fine right. for you. That, that's, yeah. that's, uh, it's very strange, To it's just strange that it sounded as though they had a document which was something of an improvement on the Abu Dhabi document, and uh, because they, at that point, they simply said that religious diversity uh, is permitted by God. Um, but they changed it after that. So I'm just curious, do you know how that happened? Who, was, who uh, drove that change?
2: This is uh, one of the, the curious aspects about these types of declarations, because part of it could be questions of translation. Uh, when we get into the difference between permitted versus willed, yeah. uh, you can get into a, a host of uh, ways of translating the various document. I mean, I translated documents myself
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, from different languages and word choices matter. So I always try to err on the side of uh, charity or the most uh, favorable interpretation, just because usually it stems from something as simple as that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Now it's uh, if we go back to that Abu Dhabi thing, and it, it's important to go back to that because I think that was the real uh, tone setter for a lot of these discussions about interreligious dialogue. Uh, Pope Francis was asked, the, or actually spoke to the very question in the general audience not too long after the signing of the Abu Dhabi document, and he asked the question, why does God allow many religions? And he said in the general audience that God wanted to allow this Elastic theologians used to refer to God's voluntas permissiva. He wanted to allow this reality. There are many religions. Some are born from culture, but they always look to heaven. They look to God. But then he adds it, but God, what God wants is fraternity among us and in a especial way. This is the reason for the trip with our brothers, Abrahams, children like us, the Muslims. We must not fear differences. God allowed this. We should be afraid Will we to fail to work paternally to walk together in life. Now, that coupled, I think, uh, as we saw with his stresses in Kazakhstan on religious freedom and religious liberty, I, I you can begin to see, I think, what one of the things that Francis is trying to do this with this great stress on interreligious dialogue mm-hmm. is trying to find the language uh, to communicate that we really do have to have this level of fraternity.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the, the there's two sides to this question of world religions one of them is what's being emphasized in these documents that the human heart hungers for God, and uh and people cultures can you know create religions uh, the in which people search after god but again the catechism uh, also stresses that religions can also be turned in a decidedly negative direction, and people can create idols and people can engage right. in re- religious m- behaviors which are, uh, which simply are not acceptable uh, uh, to, to god 's will. Uh, Matthew Hol will we'll come back and continue this discussion again there 's uh, Pope Francis uh, last week in Kazakhstan. Signing a document that was altered after a signature. We're trying to get what the church actually does teach on this question of world religions. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, looking at this conference: uh, 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 world and traditional religions that uh, Pope Francis had the opportunity to attend last week, and a document was signed there, which has given us some uh, some degree of conflict. It's clear the intention of the group. I mean, as best as I can discern, they're concerned about fraternity. They're concerned about terrorism in the way that certain world religions have been turned uh, against people. Uh, You have problems with certain... um, the application of islam in certain countries uh, you have in 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 india now you've got a, a hinduism which is anti-catholic and is anti-christian uh, so you know they're concerned they want to call their co-religionists to respect for one another in and peace as far as it, as far as that goes that's fine but these documents also have a way of avoiding the obvious and I'll just lay out one thing at the start of this, and that is that the um, God of Muhammad is incompatible with the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Muslims know this. Um, they know this. They know that because they're central to their teaching is that God has no son. Uh, in a document years ago, a few years ago really, uh by uh, Moroccan Muslims that's one of the first things they say you know, this is a document between Christians and Muslims, one of the first things that Muslims say God has no son it's it's blasphemous, the, the Nicene Creed is blasphemous, these issues are ignored at conferences like this I, I assume because these conferences have a different agenda uh, and that is to play down the differences for the purpose of fraternity give me a response to that
2: yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it, it, uh, a conference like this has uh, a couple of aims. There's the geopolitical, there's the global religious. Uh, in this case, uh, Pope Francis himself, uh, at the closing ceremony of this gathering of this Congress in Kazakhstan in the city of Nursultan, said that the path of interreligious dialogue is a shared path to peace and for peace, and he says it is necessary and irrevocable. Mm-hmm. He describes it as something uh, no longer merely expedient. It is urgently needed in comparable service to humanity to the praise and glory of the Creator of all. So right there you have, I think, trying to find uh, as much common ground as possible. Yeah. I always go back to uh, some of the points that uh, And I'm paraphrasing Pope Benedict and his model for interreligious dialogue, and that is the two things that you have to have. The first is great clarity about your side when you're entering into the dialogue with someone, Mm -hmm. especially of a different religion. You need to know exactly who you are and what you believe, and you can't hide that. Or interreligious dialogue in that sense is dishonest. But then there's also the importance, uh, and this became one of the mainstays, I think, of, of Benedict... Uh, and that is reciprocity, that if Muslims quite understandably and deservedly are calling for uh, religious freedom and liberty in the West, Mm -hmm. then it is not unreasonable for uh, Christians to ask the same in any Muslim country. That's right. And so reciprocity, I think, was a a key component in this.
0: Yeah, very good. The
2: reality is that we're now looking at a global situation uh, of religious persecution— that is impacting every major religion. If you just look at the situation in China, Mm -hmm. uh, the genocide, the persecution of the Uyghurs is on a monstrous scale. At the very same time, the persecution and marginalization and the cynicization policies of someone like Premier Xi Jinping is also bringing to weight, to to bear uh, the oppressive nature of the communist state in China. And... That, then, is one of the points I think that Francis is trying to make here, that uh, in ecumenism we have what you call the ecumenism of blood, of the, the shared martyrdoms of Christians in these lands. In the On the interreligious dialogue side, you have a global perspective now of persecution, of secularization, and the oppression of religions. So yes, absolutely, it's very much trying to find common ground. The challenge, though, is where we go from that in the actual dialogue between the religions.
0: Right right no I, I agree, and uh yeah, this is something which I know uh the church is committed to doing uh and I don't hold out um you know i mean I, I wish the best here, but i don't i I don't think we're going to ever uh see I do not believe that the world's religions um are compatible <laughs> I just I don't think they can ever be—there's uh, no common, truly common denominator. Uh, there's a general affirmation of transcendence, which I suppose is a common denominator. Uh, but what do you do with pantheistic religions, <laughs> which which are almost entirely all yeah. imminent?
2: So, right, and, yeah. and what do you do in a culture now that declares things like Wicca and— uh, the, the satanic churches to be religion.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I think it would be helpful to talk about what happens when the religious impulse in the human person turns dem- towards the demonic. Um, maybe they can explore that a little bit. Uh, well, let me let me uh, go to something else if you don't mind, and that's Cardinal Zen. He has a new trial date, I understand. Um, For listeners who haven't uh, followed this situation, why is Cardinal Zen uh, having these legal problems uh, in Hong Kong?
2: (laughs) Well, we can say it in in a nutshell that Cardinal Zen is having these legal problems because he has become, I think, one of the the great icons uh, for the advocacy of religious freedom and democracy, not Mm -hmm. just in, in Hong Kong. Uh, not just in uh, the People's Republic of China, but really across whole parts of the world. Uh, and he is, I think, the undeterred uh, critic of the Chinese government's approach to religious belief. Uh, he is uh, such a strong advocate. In this particular case, however, uh, he was arrested on the accusation of failing to register a pro-democracy legal fund. So yeah. you can argue that this was a, a legal technicality. It was a kind of legal device. Yeah. Um, but it is a statement, I think, uh, of just how serious uh, the, the Beijing government uh, and its pawns now in Hong Kong take his presence, but also uh, how they view the whole pro-democracy movement. Uh, that has been such an important voice. Now we also have to remember too that uh, his trial is not just for him; uh, it's for several other uh, activists. There's a lawyer, there's a singer, uh, there's a, a, a scholar, uh, an ex-legislator. All of them are also uh, under charges for having to for failing to apply properly uh, the registration for what's called the six one two humanitarian relief fund. And uh, that alone was enough to have them arrested. Now, what's interesting is uh, the two things. The, the One is that the trial itself, the, the charges, do not fall under the newest version of the Securities Act. Uh, if that were the case, uh, then we would be looking at a much more dire legal situation for him. Hmm. It doesn't mean that he's uh, uh, not going to uh, be imprisoned and that sort of thing. But uh, that security law is much more draconian. Uh, and the trial itself that was uh, initially set was postponed just a few days ago uh, because the, the judge in question who's presiding over it uh, has tested positive for COVID. Hmm. So everything has been pushed. I see. But uh, the trial is going to happen and probably next week.
0: To give people some some idea of how oppressive uh, this attitude is in China, uh, the head of the Missionaries of Charity, uh, this is the order founded by Mother Teresa, uh, has has refused to give up uh, their blue-striped, white cotton sari, which is the trademark habit of the congregation that was prescribed Mm -hmm. by St. Teresa of Calcutta. They want to open a house in China and they want to wear the traditional garb of their order, and they're being told no. I mean, this is pretty. I mean, this is a symbolic mo- moment uh, that we should pay close attention to.
2: I agree. And, and this fits um, perfectly with uh, the, the challenges that we're seeing as a result of the direct policies of yeah. Xi Jinping, which is this idea of cynicization. Right it is whatever religions are allowed to exist in china also must bend yeah. uh, to at certainly what the, the chinese, chinese brand chinese government <laughs> right <laughs> well but even more than that it's uh, it's i absolutely agree but more than that it's also the vision or uh, image of chinese culture through a communist lens right right yeah. And that, in some ways, is a very different thing from even trying to enculturate, uh, right. which, of course, the Church has always been a genius at doing. Right. Uh, so in this case, uh, the, the image, uh, the icon of uh, the, the blue-striped white cotton sari, uh, the habit of this uh, community, is known in every corner of the world where we have the poorest of the poor. And I think the Chinese government uh, simply cannot tolerate the idea of these remarkable nuns doing what they do because they so powerfully embody and witness the teachings of the Church. Yeah.
0: And, and, that, and the Church is a universal institution, which by its, the very fact of its universality, uh, is seen as a threat to the uh, Chinese Communist Party.
2: Uh, That's right. Yeah.
0: Which wants the state But it's sold. also
2: why the, the, the Congregation of the Missionaries of Charity have also been under attack. We had the, the, the brutal murder of four of the MC sisters uh, in Yemen. Uh, and most recently, we had their expulsion, I think it's in July, from Nicaragua.
0: Nicaragua, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: through the regime of uh, Daniel Ortega. It's for all basically the same reasons. Uh, that they, in the case of the sisters in Yemen, it's uh, because of the work that they're doing in Nicaragua. It's, they are an institution that actually cares for the poorest of the poor. They are an instrument of hope in what I think the Nicaraguan regime wants to be a situation of hopelessness. They want to give people no idea or or any hope at all uh, that their situation can improve or that they'll have consolation, which is, of course, precisely what the Missionaries of Charity bring. They bring hope and love uh, and an opportunity for dignity and humanity. Yeah,
0: very good. Uh, Was there any hint that there was any appeal uh, that the Missionaries of Charity have in this situation?
2: I would expect uh, that uh, some conversations will continue, but I would be very surprised if the Chinese government was willing to... uh, render
0: on that point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Matthew, thanks once again. Wonderful talking with you.
2: Always a privilege to be with you. God bless.
0: Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, again, i doing tremendous work uh, there at the uh, EWK News, uh, where he's executive editor and Washington bureau chief. So I hope you're watching. I'm Al Cresto.